side. Make this valley full of ditches. Doing ministry God's way. Real churches exist to help people. Real churches exist to meet the needs of the community in a spiritual way. But first and foremost, a church exists to seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, to do ministry God's way. There's a lot of ways to do ministry, but we want to do ministry God's way. One of the most intriguing stories in all of the Bible is found in 2 Kings chapter 3, and it speaks to just that, doing ministry God's way. It's an incident in the life of a mighty man of God, Elisha, a truly amazing record of God just working a miracle for people who had faith. And I believe it's a great lesson, not only for a church, but for a family, even an individual. Verse 16 of that chapter says, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Let's all bow forward to prayer. Father, we come before you and we ask for your anointing, not only, uh, Lord, as I speak, but on every ear. Lord, we need to hear from you. Speak to us, Spirit of God. May every soul just uh, burst, Lord, from the inside with a joy of what a great God you are. And Lord, inspire us to do ministry your way. Amen. All right, let's turn there if you would, please, if you're not there already, or you can follow on the PowerPoint here. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. Boy, what a terrible testimony that is. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, that was a forefather, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. Sad, so sad. Verse 4, and Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria at the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? Here's the background. Mesha, king of Moab, a country next to Israel, it was basically a colony of Israel. As such, they received protection. They received uh, uh, services from the government, and rightfully so. They were indebted to pay taxes. In this case, they would pay 100,000 rams and lambs. This was their form of payment along with the wool. Only right for all the governmental benefits they were receiving. But old greedy King Misha, his name says it, Misha, Old greedy King Misha decided they were done. His people said, look, we're done with this. And they got attitudes and they said, we're not going to pay anymore. Ahab, the king of the north, dies. And wimpy Ahaziah, his son, takes over. Now, it's not mentioned in this passage, but 
a couple chapters earlier, we see the, uh, the chronicle a little more clearly. Wimpy Ahaziah was just, uh, he, he just really didn't do anything for the kingdom, and he ended up dying, falling through the roof of his house. And then his brother, bold Jehoram, took over. And maybe a Christian, maybe not, but one thing for sure, he was a one fireball. And he told Misha, he said, I'm going to tell you something right now. You can't be a colony. You can't receive all these services and not pay taxes. You are going to pay your taxes. And uh, Misha said, it's not going to happen. Jehoram said, it is going to happen. He kind of, he, he said, fire and fury is coming your way. And uh, that's what's going to about ready to happen. And so Jehoram, being not only uh, a bold, but very uh, smart, he decided to go to the king of the southern tribes, Jehoshaphat, and say, look, would you go with me and would you help me fight against the king of Moab? Jehoshaphat says, I will go. Bad choice, going to come back to haunt him. You don't uh, hook up with uh, nominal people like that. That's just going to be a bad thing. And then to make matters worse, or maybe better if you're Jehoram, we need some additional firepower. So he goes to another neighboring country, not a colony, Edom. And um, they were known for their voracious appetites. That's why they called them Edomites. Anyway, um, it's spelled E-D. No, oh well. Um, but uh, they, were, they were quite a country. Pagan, absolutely pagan people. Didn't have the least caring at all about God. And so now, here they are. We have one outright pagan, one nominal Christian at best in Jehoram, and then a godly but uh, ill-advised Jehoshaphat, king of the southern tribes. And so they decide that we are going to go and we are going to make Moab uh, pay their taxes. And so they get together, decide they're going to take a backdoor approach and go through the wilderness of Edom. I mean, it was an outright desert. I'm not sure who thought of this plan, but uh, the people, the men were marked. They had marched seven days and weren't any closer, really, uh, to attacking uh, Moab than they had been in the beginning. But by this time, seven days in a desert, I mean, it's hard to carry a lot of water, let alone a week or two weeks worth. They had run out of water. It was day zero. They were exhausted. They were starving. And now, frankly, they were actually on the verge of dying of thirst in a desert. No uh, little matter. Now, in this moment, God taught amazing principles. And through all of it, I think it's, an, it's a great reminder as a church as a family, individual, anybody who is looking to the future about something they want to accomplish, great principles. First of all, I want you to notice an unholy adversary, an unholy adversary. The first thing that we will see is that there is always an enemy when we're trying to do something right. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, if you didn't know this already, I'm sure you do, But if you ever decide to do something right, you can guarantee it is not going to be an easy road. It is going to be difficult. There are at least three enemies that they faced. The first one was indoctrination, just bad doctrine. 
Verse number two, he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. That's Jehoram, but not like his father. He put away the image of Baal. Sadly, he only put it away. That's like someone taking, you know, their whiskey and hiding it in the closet instead of getting rid of it. They just figure you may need it someday. And so it says he just put it away. He should have burned it, destroyed it, done something. And unfortunately, even worse, he didn't forbade the people to worship Baal. Now, Baal was, a, was just a pagan god. It was a terrible, a filthy, they would sacrifice their children. Uh, it was just a horrible. It would be like having a statue of Buddha or something in your home. And, and so he took the statue and he hid it in the closet rather than just destroying it. Didn't, he could have used his position to tell the people, look, this is going to hurt us. No, but he didn't do it. He maybe bought into that lie uh, that you can't legislate morality. You know, people say that all the time. You know, you can't tell people what they can, cannot do in morals because, you know, we can't do that. But we need to legislate morality. That's God's way. They were just a weak people. So, as a result of this uh, group effort where uh, the king of the north and the king of the south and this absolute pagan, as a result of this um, terrible um, togetherness, they faced the huge uh, problem of infection. There were uh, all kinds of issues fraught with this. The king of uh, Israel, they, you know, he, they weren't strong Christians, the pagan, he was, they were into their Eastern religion. But Jehoshaphat, he was placing his people in a very precarious situation, maybe under the guise of tolerance, but you can't take a spiritual man, a carnal man, and a natural man and expect anything good to come from that. And I will say this about the home church, you know, the truth of the matter is we will not likely be stopped by an outside enemy. If there is an enemy that will destroy the church someday, it will be because of it's an inside indoctrination issue. Today, the American church, as never before, we face such incredible dangers. There are dozens upon dozens of new doctrines all the time, but there are some major ones that are just devastating the American church. Hyper-Calvinism the extreme charismatic movement, fake grace, prosperity doctrine, or Christianity light, and unbelievably, even Eastern religion via um, yoga and other things that are grabbing people who get a hold of these Eastern religions. Folks, we must be very careful to not let these tentacles come into our church. Look what it says in Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord. The old prophet said, stand ye in the ways and see, ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Walk therein and ye will find rest unto your souls. People say, what's the answer to the home church? The answer is to walk in the old paths. I'm not saying old fashioned. I'm just saying classic truths that have been once delivered, Jude said to the saints. And these are things that we must hold fast to. Folks, I will say this. 
We don't need a new gospel. We don't need new truths. We need to stick to the tried and the true. And there is a great danger of indoctrination. There's a danger of infection. A woman took her husband to the doctor's office. After the checkup, the doctor said, your husband is suffering from a serious infection. The husband, who was hard of hearing, said, what did he say? And the wife said, he says, you're sick. The doctor went on, but there is hope. If you will reduce his stress, if you will rise up every morning early and fix him a healthy breakfast, be pleasant, be nice, be kind, make lunch and dinner for him, his favorite meal, never yell at him or argue with him, and most importantly, if you will cater to your husband's every whim, and if you'll do that for the next six months to a year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. The husband said, what did he say? His wife said, he said you're going to die. (laughs) There's a great danger of infection. What else could derail a ministry? The devil will use not only indoctrination, but the devil can use indifference, apathy. You'd say, what's going to destroy a ministry? Apathy. Now, in verse 5, it says, when Ahab was dead, the king of Moab rebelled. Now, it doesn't say it in this verse, but as I mentioned earlier, Jehoram had a brother, son of Ahab, who was just wimpy Ahaziah. Moab actually had already rebelled, and Ahaziah did nothing. In fact, it says that he died by falling through the lattice work of his upstairs house. He was so busy sunning himself on the roof that he didn't care whether Moab, he just said whatever. You know, if you're going to be the king of a country, you got to take responsibility. It was just apathy. And I will say this, this kind of a not my job, not my concern attitude, it will destroy a ministry. A few weeks ago, I said this in the message. If every church member were like me, what would happen to our church during this next year? Where would the new building situation be? You know, as we face this finish line, I am convinced that one of our biggest enemies is false doctrine and apathy. You may have heard about the college students who wanted to form a new organization on their campus, and they called it the Apathy Club. They were just tired of all these trumped up type of causes, and so they, would, they felt like it was corny. And so they advertised that they believed in nothing and pursued nothing. There's just one problem. They announced their first meeting, and not one single person showed up. Why? That's because nobody was interested enough to attend the apathy club. And honestly, that's what happens to a church. Some people treat church the same way, just apathetic. Indoctrination, indifference, and finally, iniquity. When you read verses 4 through 7, we're not told really what was the motivation of Jehoram. But I think there's an underlying sense that Jehoram wasn't just interested in the glory of God. I think he was interested in money. I think he's interested in proving he was just as big or he's not going to let anybody take advantage of their country. I don't know. But I'm sure of this much, he was not interested in the glory of God. And let me say this about the home church. Whenever 
our goals, whether it be finishing this new building, whether it be expanding our ministry, whatever it is, whatever we lose the true goal, which is to the honor and glory of God, folks, we are in serious trouble. We want to finish that building, not just because we want to finish it to the glory of God so that we can preach the blessed word of God and reach people. There was an unholy adversary. There was a second thing to think about, a second uh, problem they faced, and that was an unprayerful assumption. Look at verse 11, if you would. And so here they are. They're all together. These three kings, they got their people together. They're out there basically dying in a desert. What are we going to do? And now Jehoshaphat says, (laughs) you almost got to laugh. It's tragic, but you almost got to laugh. Verse 11, Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? I want to say, Jehoshaphat, I appreciate all the good we read about you in the Bible, but seriously, couldn't have you prayed before you went out there in the desert? Couldn't have you prayed before you got into this uh, alliance with these people? I mean, why did you have to come to the point of death before you started praying? Seriously, come on, Jehoshaphat. And one of the king of the Israel servants said unto him, here is Elisha, son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. To this point, Elisha's big uh, thing that he did in life was he was a servant to Elijah. (laughs) But God had great plans for a man. You know, you can't lead well if you can't serve well. And so uh, he uh, comes and uh, he said, we need to pray about this thing. You know what I think one of the problems that these people had was they thought that they had a good battle plan. They felt like they had a lot of people and they felt like they didn't need to pray. They just took God for granted. And how often, brothers and sisters, are we guilty of that? We'll lay out our business plan. We'll lay out our financial plan. We'll lay out our educational plan. We'll even lay out our relational plans. And when it's all said and done, then we ask God to bless it. Instead of starting at the beginning and say, God, we're not even going to start planning until we get your okay, until we get your blessing on this. And nothing wrong with planning, but I'll tell you something, just because a plan is good doesn't mean poof, it happens. And that's what these folks found out. They just found out, yeah, we got a great plan. We're going to go out there and fight. Now, folks, we've got a good plan to finish this building. We've got a good plan to, we've got a good ministry plan, but I'll tell you something, it's not going to just all of a sudden just happen. Well, it's just going to happen. It doesn't work that way. We have got to pray. How much better had a Jehoshaphat certainly prayed. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him. There's the answer. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Pray about everything. This week I kept claiming uh, Psalm 41 verse 2 where it says that we'll be blessed on the earth. And I've prayed that. I must have prayed that 300 times this week. For many of you in this room, I prayed for your sickness, and I prayed for blessings on your life and in my life. And this morning, I just prayed the prayer of Jabez. Oh, God, bless me on my birthday. I want spiritual blessings this coming year. I want gifts from God. Bless me on this earth, folks, in everything we do. We've got to acknowledge Him. I can't 
have a relationship with my wife unless God's in the middle of it. I can't have a relationship with my children and grandchildren in this community, each of you. I can't even imagine life without just saying, God, I want your blessing on all that I do, all that I do. Samuel Chadwick was a great Methodist ministry at the turn of the century. He uh, was an incredible author. He wrote this, the one concern of the devil, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. The devil fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. The devil laughs, uh, laughs at our toil and mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Folks, there was an unprayerful assumption that just because we have a good plan and just because we have a bunch of people, it'll just get done. It doesn't get done that way. Number three, there was undaunted action. Undaunted, un, they just didn't let anything stop them from what they were about ready to do. Thankfully, mid-course, they made a correction. And I'm glad to let you know that God allows for second chances, amen, and third chances and fourth chances. And so he, he listened to them. And so they brought the man of God. They asked him to come, rather. In fact, if you read it a little bit, Elisha was no pushover. He, uh, he basically said, you know what, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't give you a minute's time to Jehoram. That guy is just, uh, no time for him. If it hadn't have been for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even come here. But because Jehoshaphat is a good man, I'll come. And so, and of course, he didn't have any respect at all for the king of uh, Edom. So he just said, I'll come because of Jehoshaphat. So he comes over there, and uh, he wants to pray. But this is just not easy to pray because you've got this heathen over here, the absolute pagan, the king of Edom. You've got this nominal Christian who's apparently power-hungry, money-hungry. I don't know what Jehoram's problem was, but... Definitely not on fire for God. And he was, it was just causing such a bad spirit. So you got this heathen, you've got this guy who's just half in, half off Christian, and then you got Jehoshaphat, who's on fire for God, but just kind of weak-minded, making a bad decision. And so Elijah's trying to get a hold of God, and he's having a hard time, and he's distracted. And so verse 15, look what it says. Now bring me a minstrel. He said, let's get some music into this situation, and maybe I'll be able to get a hold of God. And so it says, and it came to pass, not before, but when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Isn't that a blessing? The hand of the Lord came when he began to pray. So he praised his way. Now, folks, sometimes I've been in that situation. And that's why when I pray, I all, and almost always have some kind of music praying. Not with words for me personally, but uh, uh, I always have some kind of music playing because I want the distractions at a minimum. And I'm convinced that even notes played by hands have an anointing. They don't not just the lyrics, but actually the, the actual notes. I think there's something just annoying. I don't know what it is, but I just can tell you when the, when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. 
So he was praising his way to victory. I am convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to praise God more. And we need to love godly music. And this is what God told him to do. Look at verse 16. So he gets a hold of God, and God tells him. He said, Elisha, tell him to start digging ditches. Verse 16. Read verse 16 together with me, if you would, please. Ready? Begin. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. <laughs> Whoa, this is one of those Jericho moments. This is one of those Joshua moments where God said, walk around that wall. This, okay, it's a desert. There hasn't been a cloud in the sky for months. It's like living in the desert down where Captain Spurgeon lives. I mean, there's never rains. There's no, there's anything but sun every day, 24 days, 24, 7, 365 days a year. It's amazing. There is no clouds. How in the world are, why should we dig a ditch? And so the preacher told these kings, start digging. And I'm sure the king of Edom said, I'm not digging a ditch. And the king of the north said, really? Dig a ditch? And Jehoshaphat said, well, I'll tell you one thing. Elisha has never lied to me yet. And this is a man of God. If he said dig ditches, let's dig dishes. Dig ditches. <laughs> let's do dishes. Um, <laughs> that's what I tell our children. Do dishes. Let's dig some ditches. That's what we're going to do. Now, folks, God's ways are not our ways. God said, if you want me to bless you, go get a shovel, and then I'll bless you. Why? Can't you just bring a miracle? I don't really want to dig a ditch. It's really hard work. And see, these hands, they're not built for digging. And my back, you know, I have bursitis, and I have other issues. I, I don't dig. God said, if you want water... Get your shovel and start to dig. Here's a truth, a great spiritual truth. Man cannot do anything without God. Absolutely true. But here's the rest of part of that equation. God will not do it without man. Man cannot do it without God, but God will not do it without man. You go out there and start to dig ditches, and then I'll bless you. Now, folks, has anybody here ever dug a ditch or ever used a shovel at all? Raise your hand. Any type? Okay. And how many of you raise your hand and said, I actually like that? I just love that kind of work. Okay, a couple of you like it? Okay, good. Not many of us like that kind of work. I mean, digging ditches, that's just plain hard work. Now, we have the idea, boy, you know what? Man, we're going to have this new building, and it's going to be so nice. Folks, it's not going to happen unless someone digs some ditches. Well, boy, it's just going to pop up, and uh, the money's just going to appear in the account. Uh-uh. God said, you're going to have to dig some ditches. Have you ever noticed how God always uses mankind? God said, Lazarus is going to come out of that grave. But he said in John chapter 11, roll back the stone and then I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, folks, 
Jesus could have raised Lazarus from the dead. He could have had an angel roll back the stone. But he said, guys, roll back the stone, and then I'll raise Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus changed the water into wine, he said, I want you to get me some water pots. He could have made water pots just appear, but he said, I'm going to take the water pots and turn, but you got to get the water pots. God delivered Noah, but he said, Noah, build the ark. It took years to build that ark. And then he said, I'll bless, I'll do a miracle, but you need to do your part. Now, folks, if you are looking for an easy way or a cheap way for us to do ministry, this is not the church, and this is not certainly not the time. It's not going to happen. Verse 16 said, God said, make ditches. Now, folks, I'm telling you, it doesn't make any human sense to dig ditches when there's no, uh, there's no clouds in the sky. But God has a plan. And I will tell you, when we started this program some uh, 16, 17 years ago, it did not make any human sense. People said we were crazy. They said, first of all, you will not find property. It is way too expensive. And not only did God provide the property, but he provided the most ideal and the most desired piece of property in the entire county. You won't find property. They said you won't get approved in that green belt zone. They told us you won't be able to build without a bank or without bonds or without some kind of denominational help. You certainly can't build without debt. You don't have, these are all things I heard. You don't have the skills to do concrete. You don't have, and that was true. You don't have skills to, uh, to build a building. You don't have skills to do electrical. You don't have skills to do all of these things. They told us that we, uh, in no way could you build incrementally. That's silly. Nobody does that. Everybody builds turnkey. You can't, you can't build over a course of time because every year prices increase and all the money you have is going to go into the inflation. It, you won't, it won't work. And then they told us after we had actually came here, okay, fine, but you cannot preach the Bible Teach the Bible seven days a week, it, it, only one day a week, because you might offend a neighbor, or you might traumatize some local sheep. You know, that would be terrible. But against the most well-funded opposition that you can imagine, God somehow did. I mean, we just kept digging ditches, digging ditches, and God kept doing miracle. After miracle, after miracle, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about all the miracles happen. And I, I had to laugh at that when we finally got approval to teach on this, on this property seven days a week. And some of you were here. That next Sunday, I got a word from the Lord out of the book of Psalms. And the Bible says that God smote them on their hinder end. And uh, I thought, yeah, that's my theme verse for the rest of this building right here. Hallelujah. God just went out there and didn't take any names at all. He just did what he does. Look what it says in verse 17. For thus saith the Lord, you will not see the wind, neither will you see the rain. <laughs> That's the problem. There are people who want to see the wind and then see the rain. And then they say, okay, I'm going to go out there and give. I'm going to go out there and be involved. Folks, it doesn't, that's not faith. That's just, that's just a good decision and, and probably a great one. 
But that's not faith. Faith doesn't see the wind. Faith doesn't see the clouds. But it just says, we've got to do this. Folks, if you want fruit, you've got to climb trees. It is so important to just begin pushing on doors and then see what happens. I'm a firm believer of proactive behavior for the Lord. I mean, we just started pushing open door, or pushing doors, and then all of a sudden, a couple doors open. And then we kept pushing more doors open, and amazing, all of a sudden, here we are. George Bernard Shaw, famous Irish playwright, said this, some see things as they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask, why not? <laughs> Make this valley full of ditches. Oh, but it's not a good time to build. It's not a good time to give. Let me tell you something. The Easter offering's coming, and you might say, you know, this is really not a good time for me. Trust me. If you are waiting for a perfect time to give, that will never come. Never does. I've never been, it's never been a perfect time for me to give or to be involved. There was an unholy adversary. There was an unprayerful assumption. There was undaunted action. Hallelujah. And thank God there was unforeseen assistance. After they had done all they could do, God came through. In verse number 20, it says, and it came in the morning when the meat offering was offered. And they were probably sleeping, most of them. They'd been digging ditches all night and all day. But in the morning when the offering was offered, and I like that, when the offering was offered, it says there came water by the way of Edom. Who knows what happened? From a practical standpoint, God just broke open some big spring that was under the water. Maybe some oasis just burst forward, and it just happened to be in where those ditches were. It filled up all those ditches. Now, folks, I have no idea where the water is going to come from. All I know is God has called us to dig ditches. And just to step out there and do something. And God will do it. Now I look at us in here and I think, you know what? I have no idea where the money's going to come from. Now a couple of you I think probably have most of it. But uh, um, it's like the pastor had said, folks, i got good news and bad news about the new building program. He said the good news is we've got all the money we need. Everybody broke out into cheers. He said the bad news is it's in your pocketbooks. And... Uh, Folks, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I know this. If we will do what we can do, God will do the rest. D.O. Moody, the great evangelist, said, If God is your partner, make your plans big. I close. There was a man who got lost in the desert, and after wandering around so long, he was seriously dehydrated. About that time, he saw a little shack in the distance, and he went over and found a bottle of water and a pump with a note. And the note read as followed, pour all the water into the top of the pump to prime it. If you'll do this, you'll get all the water you need. And this man had a huge choice to make. If he trusted the note, poured in the water, and it worked, he would have all the water he could imagine. If, it, uh, if he didn't, do that, and he drank the water, well, he'd be able to live for maybe a few hours more, or maybe even a day or two, but that would be it. 
And so the man decided to risk it. He poured the entire jug into the pump, began to work the handle. First, nothing happened. He got a little scared. And then the water started coming out. In fact, so much water came out. He had everything he wanted to drink and even took a shower. The little note also said this, after you finish, please refill the jug for the next traveler. And so the man refilled the jug and he added onto the bottom of that note, prime the pump. Believe me, it works. Now folks, we have a choice to make. In our hands, we've got our little pennies or we have our dollars or our tens or our thousands or our tens of thousands. And we're holding them and we can hold on to that or we can prime the pump. We can say, I'm going to go ahead and just give it and watch what God does. And I promise us, if we'll dig ditches, God will supply. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.